Are you ready for a message? Yep. Cool. Can I get you to stand? We're going to pray this one in. Jesus. Father, thank you for gathering amazing, amazing people. I pray, Lord God, that as we seek you in your word, Lord God, that you would set us on fire. You would change thought processes. You would help us to be a little bit more like Jesus. To everyone who watches this online, Lord God, bless them. Bless every household. Let your word go far beyond where we could have imagined it would have gone. And you be glorified, Jesus. We choose, Father, to open our ears, to soften our hearts, and say, speak to me. Amen. 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 Touch two people and say, he's got something for you. Awesome, awesome, awesome. As I've written this message, you know, I I like to think, what's the goal? What am I trying to say? Because in the end, you can say lots of good things, but if you don't say the main thing, you've kind of said nothing. And I said, you know, God, what do you want me to say? And he's really saying, I want you to challenge the church to think like I think. Thought processes are so important, you know. Thought processes change lives. Here's why. Everything starts with a thought. You think something, and then you start talking like it. And as you start talking like it, you start acting like it. And as you act, it becomes a behavior, and your behavior changes where you go. But it all started with a thought. So if we could think like Jesus, if we could think like God of the Bible, it would eventually become our language, become our actions, and become our behavior, and we're going to end up going where Jesus wants us to go. Are you with me? So he says, get them thinking like I'm thinking. And here's the challenge I want to give to us today. I want us to start thinking generationally. Generationally. My, life, my title today is called A Life of Legacy. A Life of Legacy. We live in a culture where actually we think about the immediate. We think about what am I getting out of it. We think about tomorrow. At best we're thinking about in a month's time. We very rarely think about 20 years time. We definitely don't think about 50 years time. But the God of the Bible definitely does. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. He straight away says, this is my way I think. It's generational. Three generations straight away. Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 22 says this. A good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. Generationally. The the Hebrew people thought that way. You know, God says to David, I will establish your your throne for four generations. It's all the way through the word, this generational thinking, and yet I don't think we think like that. And I'm challenging us today to say, could we shift it? Could we start thinking how God thinks? It's important that we do that. So I've done a bit of research, and I found it very difficult to separate the words inheritance and legacy. What you're thinking now, haven't I? Inheritance and legacy, they're they're very similar. But the best stab I've had at it is that inheritance so often goes to the next generation. It so often is what what you you inherit from your parents. You, you, You inherit from someone. It comes into your world immediately. Legacy is wider and broader and longer and goes further. We'll all know about inheritance because we've all inherited something. You will have inherited the genes of your parents. Some of you are super tall. Why? Because you inherited the super tall gene. I didn't get that one. Some of you are super short because you inherited the super short gene. 
Some of you are, are, are really good looking. <laughs> Some of you are fast. Some of you are super brilliant at maths. Not me. Some of you are great creatives. Why? Because you inherited something genetically. We understand inheritance. We also understand the idea of inheriting stuff. Maybe you'll inherit a house if your parents have passed away. Maybe they'll leave you some money. We understand inheritance on that context. It's passed down to us. But legacy is different. Legacy is what you're going to be remembered for. Legacy is something that is part of you that carries on long way down the line because that's what I started, that's what I did. And both of these things are important and true. Can I give us a thought process around inheritance that becomes a legacy? If we could think generationally instead of short term, we could put something like this into practice. If Io, who is in his 30s, not such a young man anymore, I am still old enough to be Io's father. <laughs> Although there'd be some weird genetics going on there. <laughs> if Io decided I'm going to think generationally, and for the next 30 years of my life, I'm going to save £100 a month, and I'm going to put that into an account that comes with an 8% profit. Ian, is that okay? Ian, Ian's a financial investor. He's, not at the moment, he says, not right now. But over the course of time, it, it generates a multiples of 8%. If he did that for 30 years and said, I am not touching it, which would be hard because we think about now as that started building up. If he then said to his oldest son or daughter, daughter in Io's case, I'm giving you this, this is your inheritance, but it's not for you. You've now got to do what I did. For the next 30 years, you've got to invest £100 at 8%. Then it goes on for 60 years. Do you know that Io's daughter's children would inherit two and a half million pounds? The Bible says to lend and not borrow, that we'd be the head and not the tail. And we want to pray those things, but the Bible also talks generationally. You see, I wonder if it was God's expectation that our kids would be born millionaires. And then we wouldn't have to borrow and we would be lending. But the trouble is we want to pray for these kind of things, but we don't want to act like God acts. We don't want to think like God thinks. So someone somewhere has to stop and create a new cycle of legacy. You just think how that could set a family up. You know, they inherited two and a half million pounds. They could either share it out amongst themselves. They would be born millionaires. They could buy houses. They could buy 10, 20 properties and have an income for the rest of their lives. Why? Because we thought generationally. Do you see it? And it's not outrageous to think like that. But it's not cultural, it's not how we do it, but I do think it's how God thinks. Are you with me? That's a slight aside. So inheritance is about stuff. I think legacy so often is what you put in someone that carries on after you. Uh, do you watch the uh, program The Apprentice with, with Lord Alan Sugar? I watch that. It makes me laugh because you get these young people on there. You know, they're all supposed to be these business people. Sometimes I think, how on earth have you made it this far? They make such ridiculous decisions. And anyway, but this is what I what caught my attention. Alan Sugar is going to invest lots of money into their business idea, but whenever they asked what is it they're there for, they never say that. They're not so much interested in the money; they're interested in the mentor. 
They're interested in getting alongside someone who's ahead of them in business to pick their brains for their wisdom, their understanding, their guidance. That is more important to them than the money. Why? Because it forms legacy. I need what you've got. And if you could put in me what you've got, I could pass it on and go somewhere different. The money's less important than the wisdom. Do you see? So when we're thinking about legacy in these terms, what does that look like for you? What will people remember of you in 50 years' time, in 70 years' time? What legacy will you leave? What is it you're going to be remembered for? What is it you're putting into someone else that will change who they are for the better for generations to come? We have the ability to do that. It's very biblical. When you look at Elijah... Elijah uh, was close to God, he did amazing things for God, he called fire down from heaven, he was very zealous, he did amazing, amazing, amazing things. And then he went and he found Elisha, who was going to be his protege. And this is what it says in 1 Kings 19 and verse 19. Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went to him and threw his cloak around him. Now the cloak represented his mantle, his anointing, his gifting from heaven. And he said, I want to put something into you. I've chosen you. And here's what happens. It's so good. Elijah's he's like, yes. And he, and he leaves everything aside, and he goes with him they spent time together they walked together they lived together who knows that mentoring someone isn't just reading a book it's taking time to walk with them and here is Elisha walking with Elijah the great prophet the fire from heaven guy and he's absorbing it all he's taking it all in he's literally walking with him but then the time comes for Elijah to go and they have a chat and Elijah says to him, what can I do for you? And this is Elisha's response in 2 Kings, chapter 2 and verse 9. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me, what can I do for you before I'm taken from you? And here's the response. Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. Amazing. See, I'm not after stuff. I'm after what's in you. Because if what was in you was in me, I know I could change the world. But I'm going to believe in faith for double what you've got. And that was an outrageous ask. But that's exactly what he got. He craved double. He looked at his ministry. He looked at his legacy. He looked at his gifting. And it gets me thinking, who are we passing on to? Who are we getting alongside to say, I'm going to put something in you? Maybe you're someone who needs to crave someone else's time. To say, I see something in you. I want what you've got. Can I spend some time with you? I was thinking about this this morning, and um, there was a student called Mibaka uh, who was at the university here, and um, he was a clever guy. He's actually become a bit of a name in the, in the grime scene. He's doing quite well. He's a talented, talented guy. And uh, he said, Pastor Barry, he said, could I spend some time with you? And I saw him for three years every Monday for one hour, and he just talked. And what was great, he's a clever man, he asked clever questions and he drew stuff out of me. He hasn't been in our church now for seven or eight years, but do you know what, he still phones me. He just got engaged and before he got engaged he said, Pastor Barry, he said, I want your blessing. In your spirit do you think this is the right thing? Because he drew near me and I know he's going to go places, not because I'm the bill and that's not what I'm saying, but he said there's something in you and I want it and he spent time with me and he made the time and I gave him good answers and I prayed for him and I cheered him on. Now he's going to change the world. 
Do you need to do that? Do you need to find someone out that you think, you're, you're an important person in my life. Would you spend time with me? So that something from them is coming into you. Can you see this idea of legacy? You see, what Elijah gets taken from heaven. He doesn't actually die. He gets taken to heaven. But his spirit carries on. The legacy lives on in Elisha. That's what I'm trying to say here. You think about David, a man after God's heart. And he had this dream in his heart to build a temple. He said, Lord, I want to build a temple for you. I want to glorify you. Do you know what? Every time you come to church, that's exactly what you're doing. We're building God's house. Even by coming this morning, you're building, you're putting your weight behind God's house. Because what will happen is someone will bring their friend to church and they'll look around and go, wow, there's amazing people here. This is so good. Why can they say that? Because you showed up. And so we're building God's house. God bless you in all of that. And so David's got this dream to build this temple. But God stops him in his tracks. 1 Chronicles 28 and verses 2 through 3. King David rose to his feet and said, listen to me, my fellow Israelites, my people. I had it in my heart to build a house as a place of rest for the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, for the footstool of our God. And I made plans to build it. But God said to me, you are not to build a house for my name because you are a warrior and have shed blood. So he he gets discounted. But here's the thing. He still carries the dream in his heart. He still thinks, yeah, but I want to leave this legacy. So what does he do? He sets his son Solomon up. He says this in 1 Chronicles um, 28 verses 6 and 7. He said to me, Solomon, your son is the one to build my house and my courts. For I have chosen him to be my son and I will be his father. I will establish his kingdom forever. Can you see it? They're interested in stuff. I will establish his kingdom forever. It's not about now or even the next generation. It's about way more than that. Could we get our thinking in that route? It will be forever if he's unswerving in carrying out my commands and laws as being done at this time. Here's the reality. We still talk of Solomon's temple to this day. When you study it and you look at how much it cost to build that, it would have cost over a trillion dollars to build Solomon's temple today. It's vast. It's amazing. It's God-glorifying and God-honoring. But this is what I love. David didn't say to himself, oh, well, if it's not me to build it, shove it. He was like, no, I'm into generations. I'm into legacy. I'm not just into me. So what did he do? And you can study it yourself. He prepared. He got all the materials. He put the funds in place. He got all the stones and everything they needed. He prepared it. So all Solomon had to do was put it together. He set his son up for a future he had dreamed of himself. There's legacy right there. Maybe God's put a dream in your heart and you'll start touching it, but maybe it'll be your children that go way beyond that. I love that picture of the next generation stands on our shoulders because that way we're always going up. We're standing on the shoulders of people who have fought for things before. I love celebrating the older generation in our church because they've fought battles that I'll never have to fight. They fought battles on our behalf. They've prayed prayers. They've cried tears. They've gone through trials and tribulations and they've come out winning. And they're saying, come on, we've come this far. You stand on our take it a bit further. Get a bit closer to Jesus. Get a bit more glorifying. Why? Because it's about legacy. It's about the generations to come. It's not just about me. And this is what I love about impact offering. If you choose to give to impact offering, what you're doing is saying, I believe in the people to come. We're creating a fund so that when the time comes, we're ready to go and things are going to change. This is what I love about the style of our church. You'll notice there's a whole bunch of young people who go crazy in the praise, jumping and clapping. I have to stand at the front. I'm like 90 years old now, but I'm still going. Don't worry. (laughs) 
But you know what that's doing? That is causing young people to want to be in church. You may be sitting at the back a little bit older. I'll be kind to you. A little bit older. Not older. Thinking, what on earth? Is that what it's about? But you know what? If that encourages young people in church, that is what it's about. Because there's a generation to come who are going to go further than I've ever dreamed of. And so if if it jumping up and down means young people in church, I'm going to jump high. Will you jump with me? Because it's not about me. I can sit at home and listen to my Bethel and sway in my room, lay on my floor and cry my little heart out to Jesus. But when I'm in the house, it's not about me. Could there be a generation who says, I love going to that church, the twinkly lights, the cool bass player, the loud music, the jumping, I love it, I want to be there. If that gets them in church and they meet Jesus, I'm up for it. Because it's not about me. It's about a generation to come. And so if you're sat in the middle at the back and you haven't started jumping yet, jump for Jesus. It's not a rule, but I believe young people come and look around and go, there's life here. I could be part of this. And suddenly, where church in history has lost all the teenagers, church in our time is gaining all the teenagers because we're prepared to make a way for them to meet Jesus. And I'm prepared to do whatever it takes because it's not about me. It's about a legacy. Are you with me? So exciting to see young people coming to Jesus and getting excited, praying for each other, seeing healing, speaking in tongues, making God-based decisions in life. It's exciting. And this plays its part in that. So God bless you as you, play, as you run with that. It's funny when you look at Elisha because he had a very different end to Elijah. Let me read you the story here. Uh, 2 Kings 13, verses 20 to 21. Elisha died and was buried. Now Moabite raiders used to, enter, um, used to enter the country every spring. Once, while some Israelites were burying a man, suddenly they saw a band of raiders. So they threw the man's body into Elisha's tomb. When the body touched Elisha's bones, the man came to life and stood up on his feet. Now that's a scene right there. You know, you're, you're burying someone, everyone's sad. Hands up if you've ever been to a funeral. It's sad, you know. Do you know what? We weren't made to die. That was never God's plan. We weren't supposed to die. So man struggles with death. We all struggle with it. It's not, we're not conditioned to deal with it. Questions so much, it's tough. So here's these men burying their friend. And suddenly they see this band of raiders coming in, ready to, to hack them to bits. And they freak out and think, we've got to run. And so they just throw the body of their friend, who they love. He hits the bones of Elijah and gets up and goes, wait up, guys, I'm coming. Imagine that, you're like, what on earth? Best funeral ever. Comes to life. Now that is a brilliant, life-giving and quite funny scene. But it's also really sad in terms of legacy. Do you know why? Because the power of God rested on Elijah and he never passed it on. So even on his bones, it was still there. So when they landed on the bones of Elijah, they came to life because the power of God was still with him in his death. Imagine if Elisha had a protege who asked for a double portion. He got a double portion of Elijah. Imagine how strong he was. He was so strong, in fact, that people came to life with his bones. That's how strong he was. Imagine if he had a protege that asked for a double portion of that. Can you see the generational thinking? Guys, I don't know what's on your life but I believe you're gifted. Don't die with it. Give it away. Sow it into other people. Give more of it away. Pray for people. Let another generation of people go further than we've ever dreamed of 
because we're willing to take the time to pass it on. Are you with me? Touch two people and say, can you pass it on? It's interesting to keep asking that question, isn't it? What legacy are you leaving? It's more than just material things. And material things are helpful. Of course they are. But it's about setting up a future generation to go further. You look at Jesus' life. We know that his ministry was three and a half years and he had the 12 disciples with him and he had a traveling crew, many of which were women, and he, he walked with them. And sometimes I think we know discipleship's important, isn't it? But sometimes we get so busy in life, we don't even have the time for discipleship. We love, we love a, a course and a book. We love to give someone a phone call and those things are important, but it's not discipleship. Discipleship is literally walking with someone. What did the disciples do? They walked with Jesus. Just picture the scene, by the way. Imagine actually walking with Jesus for three and a half years. I mean, that's got to do something on the inside of you, hasn't it? So they're walking along with Jesus, and some guy comes up to him. He's blind, and he says, what can I do for you? He gets mud, and he rubs it in his eyes. They're like, what on earth is Jesus doing? His eyes open up. They're like, come on. Imagine actually seeing that. What's it doing on the inside of you? You know, they, they, they walk with Jesus and all the teachers of the law who are so pious and up themselves and so thinking they're righteous and this, that. And Jesus just debates with them and knocks them flat and they can't argue. And imagine actually watching that. They're like, wow. As they're walking with him, something of Jesus is going in. Something of Jesus is going in. Something of Jesus is going in. It's not about telling someone. It's about being with someone. You know, when we look at the Great Commission, Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. Well, if we're going to make disciples, you know what you've got to do? Spend some time with some people. It's time consuming. We can't do it all. I can't disciple everyone here. But you could all disciple one. You could all disciple probably two or three. Some of you have got it in you to disciple ten. But if we could all do a little bit, imagine how many people would get a little bit more like Jesus. Get a little bit of what you've got in them and push further forward than you've ever done. Can you hear it? Here's a model. Listen to me. Watch me. Try what I do while I watch you, and then do it when I'm not there. It's a great model. So uh, Basel at the back there, give us a wave, Basel. Round of applause for Basel. He's awesome. Look at Basel. Yes. The best-looking Indian man in the world. There he is. So some time ago, Basel said, you know, I'm happy to try and help on sound. Not done it in this context before, so what does he do? He chats to Andy, who does our sound. And Andy says to him, watch what I do. And so he comes along and he plugs all the wires in. There's so many wires that you can't see all hidden behind here. What's quite funny, actually, just as an aside, is that behind these curtains now is a full-scale uh, scene of the uh, shepherds and the, the wise men and the baby Jesus, paper mache style, bigger than me. We had to move the stage forward to get them in. The weird thing is they're all ginger. But I don't know, those uh, wise men from the east, the ginger ones. Anyway, that was an aside. Back to Basel. <laughs> Basel says, I'll do it. And he says, watch what I do. Listen to how I do it. And then and he says, you've got it now. I'll stand and watch you do it. And he stood and he was with him. And he says, now, do it without, I'll be in the room, but do it without me. But now Basel is at the stage where he can do what Andy can do even if Andy's not here. And do you know what that means? That means we're not just relying on Andy. He's passed something on. Round of applause for our good man at the back. So discipleship 
is so key. Now, if we're talking about raising up future prophets, they need to hang out with a prophet. If you want to raise up future businessmen, they need to hang out with business people. If they want to raise up great mothers and fathers, hang out with great mothers and fathers. Get around people who have got what you want to be like and let them put it in you. Are you with me? It's so often modelled in families. I believe that's why God put us in families and it's, I believe it's why families are so under attack. So many unfortunately dysfunctional families and often it's not necessarily someone's fault, but it's how it's played out. But God's plan always that he was put us in a family and that something could be modelled and imparted in that family so the sons and daughters go on the shoulders of the mum and the dad. And it goes further and way and beyond. And, you know, hallelujah, I thank God for my family. Many of you will know mum and dad, who, by the way, are poorly right now. So please pray for mum and dad. They're not here today. Love those guys so much. But if I can home in on my dad particularly, he modelled something to me. He modelled how to love my mum. And my dad would openly have a kiss and a cuddle with mum. Now, if you're in a marriage and you've got children, show affection to each other. It helps them. It creates a loving environment. It models something to them. You don't have to say to your son, this is how you kiss your wife. <laughs> I obviously had that conversation with my son. I said, Josh, you're doing it all wrong. But you can demonstrate something within boundaries, men. <laughs> but he modelled something. He loved my mum openly. What did that do on the inside? Without him saying anything, what did that do on the inside of me? Do you know what it did? It helped me to treat my wife with love and respect. Didn't have to say it, he just demonstrated it. My, my dad would take time off work to drive me around to things that were important to me as I grew up. What was he saying? Love to me. How important I was. Demonstrating something to me all the way. He worked hard. He provided for our family. He was sold out for church. He was 100% committed to church. And what did it do? Put something on the inside of me. And so when you look at me and my brother Daniel, and I've got another brother Michael, when you look at us, it's no great surprise that we have strong marriages. It's no great surprise that we work hard. It's no great surprise that we're Jesus people. It's no great surprise we're sold out for church. And, you know, many people say, well, you can be a Christian and not go to church. And, you know, we can debate that and they may or may not be true. But I know this, the church is Jesus' vehicle to reach the nations. So if you're about what Jesus is about, you need to be in church, really. Because that's what he's going to use to reach the nations. So let's be about what Jesus is about. And so dad modeled this to me. And so you look at my life and you think, wow, dad modeled commitment to church. I've stood on his shoulders and I lead a church. I wonder what my son will do, because I think it's going to go beyond whatever I'm going to do. I'm not boxing you in, boys. You don't have to lead a church. <laughs> but you're going to be a Jesus guy, absolutely. And same with Evie, and same with Daniel's children. You'll see it. Why? Because it's legacy. We spent time with dad and mum. They've prayed for us. They've talked to us. They've demonstrated stuff over many, many, many years, decades. And now we're going beyond where they went to, and they're proud of that. They will cheer us on. Here's, here's where legacy really kicks in. There will be a day when mum and dad aren't with us anymore. They'll be in a far better place with the Lord. And Josh and Evie and Amy and Jessica will be going way beyond they ever went. And they'll be able to say, there's legacy right there. The kingdom is advancing through our grandchildren. Why? Because we modelled something to our children and we have a generational culture. Are you with me? Which begs the question, how are you living now? 
Because if you want to have a legacy, you've got to start living like it now. Who are you sowing into now? Who are you gleaning off of now? Because if you start now, what are the next 10 years going to look like? What are the next 20 years going to look like? What are the next 50 years, if we've got 50 left, to look like? Are you with me? Look at this in Psalm 144, verse 12. Then our sons in their youth will be like well-nurtured plants, and our daughters will be like pillars carved to adorn a palace. This is legacy. This is what the church should look like. Young people carved out for Jesus. Strong pillars. I love that description of the women, the daughters. Strong. You know, I love when I look around at the church girls. You know, in a culture which is all about, you know, wearing next to no clothes and putting it on social media just so someone might give you a like and love you. Whereas our girls are like, but I'm a Jesus person. I'm standing strong. I'm a pillar. I know what I'm about. I'm not going to bow for you because pillars don't bend and bow. Pillars are strong. And we want to create a place where our young people are strong. And I believe we're seeing that across our youth and across our young people in our church. It's very, very exciting. It's legacy. Let me talk to you for a second about remnant. There's a great you know, theme all through word that whenever there was a disaster, whenever there was things against the people of God or when they turned away from God, God always kept a remnant. You think about it like this. You think of Noah. You know, the world was horrendous in such a way that God actually says, I regret making them. It was horrendous. But rather than give up on everyone, he found a remnant. He found one man and his family who loved him. And we know the story. He built the ark. The rains came down. The floods went whoosh. And they were saved. A remnant to save humanity. You look at Lot and his family. They're in Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, uh, and God was going to destroy the whole thing. And Abraham said, "What? Well, there's one family. And he said, go and get them out. One family. It's a remnant. You look at Elijah, before he takes Elisha under his wing, he's really zealous. He goes to Ahab the king and his wife Jezebel, who is basically the picture of witchcraft. He goes to them and says, it's not going to rain. It's not going to rain until I say so. And that was economic disaster. They had to have rain. He, says, he told the most powerful people on the planet, and one of them was a witch, personified. But he was zealous and he did it. And he got all, he got all up for it. And then they just started killing everyone. And Elijah goes to God and he says, God, they're killing all the prophets. They're killing all of your people. I'm all on my own. What have I done? Oh, they're going to get me too. And God says, whoa. I've saved 7,000 people who have not turned away from me. And you're going to meet them. He didn't even know, but there was a remnant. God is into this idea of remnant. You look at, at Paul when he writes the letter to the Roman church in Romans 11 verse 5. So too, at this present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. The world might be doing all of its own thing, but I've got some people. I've got a remnant, and I'm putting them in there, and they're going to have a grace to bring my spirit into the situation, and it's going to change the world. There's a remnant. I did some research. I did some research, and do you know that in the UK today, according to Wiki, 6% of people attend church. That means 94% of people aren't tending church. Do you know what that makes us? A remnant. The Spirit of God resting on people. Now, if we could start thinking about legacy, what could we do 
as the remnant of God in 2022 carrying the spirit of God where there's no boundaries, where there's faith arising, where we carry the gospel message to a needy world. We're falling over with mental health. We're falling over with debt and struggles, with relationship issues. What is the answer? The answer is putting Jesus in the middle of it. And who's got Jesus? The remnant. What an opportunity. What a time to be the church. What a time to be alive. You know, we could look at this and go, oh, it's so sad. No one's coming to church. And the church is dying. Oh, it's rubbish. Or we could say, not on my watch. Or we could say, come on, church. It's time to stand up. We carry the spirit of the living God. There might only be 6% of us, but 6% with Jesus is far better than 94% without. We have victory in our wings. Yeah, come on. So my question again is, what you're prepared to live like? Could you think legacy? Wouldn't it be amazing, amazing, amazing if we could double that number to 12% attending church? Now, could we believe in the double portion? Elisha, I want a double portion of what you've got. And if we've currently got 6%, Lord, we're crying out for 12%. And then our younger generation can take it on to 24%. Wouldn't it be great? We were supposed to be a Christian nation. Well, I think, unfortunately, the evangelists are coming to us now. Come on, church, time to rise up, isn't it? We carry the answers to everyone's need. 1 Corinthians verse four, chapter 4 and verse 15, Paul writing, he says this, Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Here's one of the issues. We've been talking about this for years. We're living in a time that is called the fatherless generation. I don't know what's happened. Probably over the course of time, lots of things have happened. But people are growing up without that mentor figure. You know, I look at my own dad and what he put into me, and I'm doing my very best to put into my son. Not everyone's got that. And it's difficult. We're living in a fatherless generation, but I want to say this. Fatherhood isn't just a, a, a male-female thing. It's a spirit thing. Now, it's interesting. My wife, Sarah, many years ago went to a Bible college in Denmark for a, for a prophetic worship training session for a week. And they had this prophetic family from America come over and they were just on. Do you know, do you know when people walk around the room, they just get it right? They don't know. They, know, they start going, oh, your name is and you were born at this time and you weighed this amount of like everything. You're like, wow. When people say that, you want to listen to what they've got to say. And this is what they said over my Sarah. She's five foot two, by the way. And she's female. Just making sure you know that. <laughs> they picked her out and they said, you may be small in stature, but you're big in Christ. And you may be a woman, but you carry the heart of the Father. And they said, when you sing, because you've heard her sing, when you, heard, when you hear her sing, people get touched by the Father's heart. And yet she's a woman. And so, yes, men, we need to raise up as fathers. But don't discount yourself, women, because you can carry the Father's heart. And people need mentors. You know, if only 6% are coming to church, there is 94% of people in this land that aren't as far along in Christ as you are. You can mentor someone. Sometimes I think we discount ourselves that I don't do enough Bible study, I don't know enough. You know more than someone else, you could be a mentor. You know, I know that teachers, Io tells me all the time, teachers, they're studying the day before, they give the class. You know, all you've got to know is one more step, that's true, isn't it? No. If you know one thing more than the other person, you can teach them. And that's why I.O. does CSEs. I was not even called that anymore, was it? No. no. <laughs> Be empowered, church. Be empowered. There's the spirit of the Father living in you in a fatherless generation. 
could our legacy be that we become the fathers that this generation needs? Could our legacy be that we put our arms around young people and change the course of their lives because of the spirit that lives in us? Could our legacy be the generation that when missing out of church comes back and is fired up for Christ? You know, could, our gener- could, our, could our legacy be people getting healed? Could our legacy be that marriages succeed in the house of God? What could our legacy be? But it's going to go on for years to come. I've written down here, marriages flourishing, families full of faith. A church that is famous for love, for acceptance, for faith, for miracles. What could our legacy be? And do you know what? It's up to us. It's up to us what we want to do with it. We could just be church attenders or we could get passionate. We could say, Lord, use me to change this world. Sometimes I feel like we look at the world and you think, what can I do? But you know what you can do? You can love one person. And if everyone loves one person, there's a whole lot of good going on right there. And if you could disciple one person, give them time, weekly, daily, have a phone call, cup of coffee, ask good questions, pray for each other, pass on your gifting. I wonder what the church could look like in 10 years' time, in 20 years' time, in 50 years' time. Well, if we put into practice what I said about the money, it'd be full of millionaires for a start. What does legacy look like for you? Can you see my thinking? We don't actually think generationally, but God is saying to us, come on, could you shift it? Could you start thinking way beyond where you're thinking now? Amen. I'd love to pray for you. Would you mind standing up? I just invite you to close your eyes. Let's do some business with the Father. just feeling that there's a bunch of people in here that have missed out on being father, that have missed out on having a great mentor, that have come this far and it's been a slog and you're hurting. Well, I believe the Spirit of God's here today to bring healing. I believe the Spirit of God wants to connect you with the right people to heal up the wounds and send you forth being who you were supposed to be. I'm not going to get anyone to raise a hand on that one. It's very personal, but I do encourage you to come and get some prayer afterwards. Father, I lift up anyone who relates to that. Where was my mentor? Where was my father? Why was it so hard for me? Well, God bless you. God bless you for getting here all by yourself. God bless you for having the strength to stand when it would have been easier to fall over. God bless you. Lord, I declare healing over anyone who relates to that. That even right now, by your spirit, you'd heal hearts, you'd heal memories, you'd heal minds. God bless you. 
you're an amazing person for coming this far. But nothing is wasted. Do you know you'll be the best mentor for someone else who's gone through that? Because you've got experience to draw from. But you can come from a place of having been there, but now healed and whole because of the love of Christ. God bless you. Go mentor someone. Go stand with someone who's having a similar situation. Go love someone. Change their world. Father, I pray that the spirit of fatherhood would rest on your church. That we could start opening our eyes to see brilliant people who don't yet know you and come alongside them and love them and show them what the Father looks like. The one who would go out of his way for a conversation. The one who always accepted and always loved and always forgave. The one who's the lifter of our head. Let us represent you well. I just declare a spirit of fatherhood over your church.